Good morning, this is Joe Moran and the Joe Moran Show brought to you on a daily basis as we talk all things currencies, secular trends, business, finance, technology. Have a excellent few topics that we want to talk about today um, in our never ending quest to raise the level of discourse and discussion and civility most critically civility in this country on a few different topics uh, and, and, and as you guys know the themes are consistent, right? The themes of this world in 2020 are converging. Let me repeat that. The themes in 2020, and I would even say over the next three to five years, are converging and will continue to converge on the central theme of dollar destruction, currency, and, 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 and that's even too specific. Let's call it currency destruction, monetary system destruction, and how the rest of the systems that rely on monetary policy, the global financial system, the dollar as a reserve asset and reserve currency, how all of these systems processes, stakeholders involved in this game, and make no mistake, it is a game, how they all converge on this central theme. So, today we're going to talk about what's happening in Europe as it pertains to crypto. Uh, want to dive back into fidelity um, as it pertains to crypto and how the demand and who demands crypto is changing. There's been some interesting moves in the dollar and the DXY uh, in the past 24, 48 hours. So we're going to discuss that. And then a topic that I'm absolutely fascinated by, and as you as you all know, you know it's decentralization. But as we as we go and we look at the structure of organizations, businesses, and this probably fits better and would be more applicable 
to large nationals or multinational organizations, but the theme applies throughout all companies, um, except if you're a single member LLC or a um, sole proprietor, is the concept of vertical and horizontal relationships within the business setting. So that's what we're going to wrap up with. It's something that I think is absolutely critical. Uh, and organizations that get this right in 2020 have a competitive advantage versus the ones that don't. So with that intro and with that breakdown of the topics, let's get started. So. In Europe, things are, tend to be a little more progressive. Um, I, I tend to think of Europe now. There's obviously, you know, some strong, strong pushback to Silicon Valley, to tech, to privacy, those types of things. But compared to the United States, Europe tends to be more progressive. I think that's fair. Um, you look at social issues, whether it's the LGBT community, um, whether it's drugs, alcohol, marijuana, uh, adoption, legalization, comfort, whether it's, you know, science versus religion, Europe tends to just lean a little more progressive, right? And on the front foot compared to the United States. And a large European stock index the and I'm gonna butcher this um, so forgive me if you're from you know Germany, Austria or Switzerland or in this kind of central central European, you know, any of these central European countries, but the Weiner Bourse Weiner Bourse is it Bourse? Bourse Weiner is it Weiner is it Wiener? I'm not sure. And I should have done the homework. Apologize for that. But the, I'll just say the Viner Bourse Stock Exchange is now offering an exchange traded product for Bitcoin and Ethereum for crypto. And this would be similar to a ETF 
in the United States, right? So on the Dow or on the NASDAQ, it's an exchange traded fund, exchange traded product. So they call it ETP in Europe. And yesterday, September 1st, the Viner Bors listed its first product, listed an ETP, an exchange traded product for Bitcoin and Ethereum. And it's been trending in this direction, right? There was a exchange and the market in Germany had a, another ETF product specific for Bitcoin um, that happened, I believe, in August. So this is just a continuation, right, of Europe's comfort level with cryptocurrencies and trying to build a regulatory framework and a regulatory body, a regulatory environment for crypto, for Bitcoin and Ethereum that allows it and allows individuals to gain exposure without having to physically buy the asset. Now, why would they be doing this? Why are exchanges now offering these products well i mean the first thing that comes to mind is demand right people are asking for it they want exposure they understand Things such as the sharp ratio and how sharp ratio of Bitcoin is better than the sharp ratio of any other asset. So, you know, the demand side is clamoring for products, right? They want to be able to invest, they need exposure. And Europe, ahead of the game, right, compared to the United States, is offering those products. The other thing that I think is of note, and this comes back to our mentality, our mindset, how we feel about central banks, and the unprecedented money printing, and stimulus that's being introduced into the market is 
the Germans specifically are concerned about inflation. The Weimar Republic, let's call it pre-World War One, had a significant currency collapse and currency crisis. And the Germans remember what that felt like. After World War One, the Allies had to make a decision whether or not to change the rules of the Weimar stock market where the stock market and the Weimar Republic actually could not go down. They would not allow you, an individual, to sell. So the market kept going up and up. And the Allies had to make a decision whether or not to have free market or continue market manipulation. And they chose the free market path, which was the right decision. And there was a 90% drop in one day in that stock market. There was mass inflation and extreme currency debasement due to the war. So this underlying thought of inflation has always been in the back of the minds of the German, the German people. And when they look around at the horizon today, they see what's happening in the ECB and in Europe. They look across Asia, they see what's happening in Japan with the extreme, extreme easy monetary conditions. And then when they look across the Atlantic and see the Fed with quantitative easing infinity, they get a little nervous. Their ears perk up. Because for them, they know what they know what this leads to. They understand what the outcome is. The outcome is inflation. It's inflation. They know it. And so they're preparing, right? They're taking the steps that are necessary. And the steps that are necessary require hard assets. They require gold, silver, real estate, and Bitcoin. Those are your options today. Right? Because the stock market is not a hard asset. 
it's not. That piece of paper in your wallet that represents your national currency or if you're the euro, the currency of a body of nations is not a hard asset. And you can see that Europe and I believe that Germany, my opinion is Germany is the driving force, is they're preparing for a day of reckoning. Because they see it. They know what's coming. Doesn't matter whether or not you think it's right, wrong, right? This isn't about feelings. This isn't about emotional decision making. It's about looking ahead and understanding what happens if things continue in this direction. Knowing what the outcome is going to be. And so Europe, being as ahead of the game and as progressive as they are, are putting the necessary systems in place for people to hedge inflation risk. And it's absolutely fascinating. You know, at some point in the United States, there will be a Bitcoin ETF. The regulators need to understand that it doesn't matter what they do, right? Bitcoin, crypto is a bottom-up approach. This isn't being driven by governments, religion, centralized institutions. It is a Pure peer-to-peer decentralized force. That's bottoms up. And so the regulators, and we've you know we've heard about it, right? Hey, this is how criminals move money. It's with crypto. It's all bullshit. Okay. So the regulators, instead of embracing it, building the rules, participating in the outcome in the United States they've been stonewalling the outcome and the outcome is inevitable the outcome is inevitable Europe is moving there you know anybody that still thinks that crypto Bitcoin and Ethereum and you know the other 500 coins have been introduced in the market within the last 30 days that they're going to get banned isn't paying attention to what's happening globally. They're just not paying attention. And the United States, if they want to be a player and they want to have the most powerful economy when the new system is here, and again, it could be five years, 10 years, 20 years, I don't know, 
But whenever that system arrives, crypto, Bitcoin, perhaps Ethereum, they're going to be part of the system. And so I suspect that as Bitcoin's price rises, over the next 12 to 18 months, and my guess is it'll happen before this, maybe six to nine months, we'll have an ETF for Bitcoin. And it's not because in this country, it's not because the regulators are ahead and are proactive. It's because the people are clamoring for it. They're going to want exposure. Similar to what's happening in Europe. I mean, Fidelity... Fidelity understands with their Wise One fund, their digital asset fund, that's going to allow wealthy, wealthy investors buy in and participate in the Bitcoin game. They understand. So, the geopolitical and the global order. And the nations that are forward-thinking are going to capitalize. They're absolutely going to capitalize on what's happening. Because they're thinking five years from now, right? They've got a high time preference. Okay? And when I mean high time preference and... You know, it could be low time preference, depending on how you look at it. But they're thinking long term, not short term. Okay? And they're laying the foundation, they're laying the groundwork for the new system. And wanting to be a player in that system. And that's exactly what's happening with this European stock exchange move. Germany has made two moves. Two moves. And when Europe is making moves, Singapore has done something similarly in Asia. When Japan makes their move and offers a Bitcoin ETF equivalent, the United States, and all of its wisdom and glory, will follow suit. But the challenge is you're going to have to play catch up. Right? The game theory takes over and you have to play catch up. Kazakhstan is investing $700 million in Bitcoin mining. Let me repeat $700 million in Bitcoin mining. In cryptocurrency. 
that tells you all you need to know about what game they're playing. And so I expect and anticipate that as Bitcoin's price continues to rise due to the stock-to-flow economics working out, as they always do, that the United States will move. You'll see more stock exchanges create ETF or ETP products, exchange-traded products for crypto and for Bitcoin specifically and it's going to become the game theory on this is just fascinating and that's why it's a global why it has a global impact and that's the thing when I talk to my friends I talk to people about Bitcoin I had an interesting conversation yesterday with somebody that used to work at a uh, an investment bank People think about it, especially in the United States, purely as a United States phenomena. People in the United States in general don't even consider how other countries respond to crises, to monetary policy, to anything, right? It's like they don't even, it's like they're not even there, right? It is purely a, hey, we got our United States blinders on. We got our USA glasses, the red, white, and blue. And there's no understanding that there are actually other countries in the world that have different perspectives, right? And that's the thing that gets lost when it comes to Bitcoin within the United States, is people just think about it in terms of the dollar, right? And yeah, the dollar, it's a critical component, right? The dollar is the global reserve currency. Um, The Fed's printing and printing at an unprecedented pace and rate. So the dollar is important. But these other countries, they're not waiting around. They're making moves. They're being proactive, not reactive. They're making sure that their citizens and their constituents are prepared for what's coming. And I expect, like I said, let's call it through 2020, in the first few months of 2021, that this trend is only going to continue. I would be shocked if there aren't other countries that, you know, come out and say, hey, we're going all, we're going all in. We're going all in on crypto. And that's because They understand the long-term game, and they want to be a player in it. So as supply gets cut in half, right, due to the halving, as the supply gets cut in half, 
and countries like Germany, Switzerland, Austria, Kazakhstan, China, Iran, Lebanon, Turkey, Argentina, Zimbabwe, Sudan, as they start thinking in this different mindset, hey, the system isn't working, right? There's something wrong with the system. They're going to start being proactive. And when that happens, the demand curve changes. This is no longer we're going up and down the demand curve, right? The having, and I'm going to kind of geek out on the economic front here, in the economics front, but so the having is a total shift in the supply curve, right? You're not moving up and down the curve. It is a shift in the curve. Well, what's happening right now due to the macroeconomic conditions, this isn't simply shifts and changes along the demand curve for Bitcoin and crypto, right? That happens naturally, right? And what happened naturally, and that's with the base level of stock to flow along with the shift in supply curve. That's why you get to that answer. But this is a shift. This is an absolute shift in the demand curve. And it's going to be reflected in the price. So next 18 months, I mean, we're going to talk about it. So buckle up, get used to it. The, ex, the next 18 months are going to be fascinating to watch. As currencies continue to be under pressure, as countries and nation states prepare, lay the groundwork, lay the foundation, position themselves, And, and how they view the world order shaking out, right? Once the system breaks. And we're going to see the players. We're going to know who they are. We're going to talk about them. We're going to talk about them. And why is it important? Because the dollar, the almighty dollar has been just as volatile as Bitcoin, <laughs> right? Over the past month. And honestly, since, let's call it May, right? So May 1st, the dollar was at 99. Let's just call it 99. 98, 97. Okay? And... Today, it's at 92.71. So we're talking about an over 7% decline in value since May. Four months later. In the currency world, that's significant. Those are significant moves. In the Bitcoin world, <laughs> that's today, right? Yesterday, we were at 12,000. Uh, looked like we might even hit 12.1. And today we're at, let's see if I can pull it up here. 
we're at 11.3. So we are talking about a 7% drop. In one day. But in the currency world, it doesn't move quite like that. But the shocks and the impacts to the global system are far greater, right? Just due to the magnitude and the amount of dollars in the system. So 7% drop over four or five months. And then last month alone, we've ranged from let's call it 94 all the way down to sub 92 at like a 91 kind of seven quality number. So even the moves within the month are becoming more volatile. It started at 94. A week later, it's a 92.5. A week later, back in 94. A week later, it's down to 92. Again, goes up to 93.5. And then the following week, it's down to 91.75. And now it's back up to 92.75. In the currency world, those types of moves are significant. And that's why everybody's paying attention. The whole economic system, the global economic system, hinges on these dollar moves. I mean, there's violent shocks. Even today for the stock market. The dollar goes up. Well, that hurts our multinationals here in the United States, right? It's favorable for Europe and the export exporting of goods. But it brings pain to the stock market. It brings pain to asset values when the dollar strengthens. Over the last day, it went from 91.75 all the way to almost 93. That's in the last 24 hours. And so these dollar fluctuations are only going to continue. These huge swings are only going to continue. And that's why we're talking about it. This is the central theme for the next 5, 10 years until the whole system breaks. Luckily, for the Fed, for the U.S. Treasury, for central bankers all around the world, the masses don't yet know what's happening. They can feel it, right? Wealth inequality is at an all-time high in this country. You know, the separation between the haves and the have-nots continues to grow. We've got protests happening, whether it's Black Lives Matter or it's uh, driven by socioeconomic issues. They're happening. And these things are only going to continue. They're only going to continue. And so we know that the system's breaking. 
it's then how do we position ourselves to take advantage of a system that no longer works. And that's why we have the conversations. That's why we talk about it. So in the last the last thing that I think is really important, and you know, I, I think of it in terms of uh, business organizations, companies, um, but it applies to any institution, whether it's centralized or decentralized. But it's vertical versus horizontal relationships. And a organization that uh, values vertical relationships, the CEO, president, founder, senior executive, walk around with their chest puffed out feel that they're more valuable right and they add a lot more value to the organization um, than a new hire right walk with a little swagger think their ideas are better and This was a successful approach in the 80s, 90s, and I would even say in the 2000s, early 2000s. Now, the internet and the information age has changed the game because information's power, right? And once information becomes available to everybody, then that changes the power structure. No different than what we were talking about with currencies, right? Bitcoin, crypto is a bottoms-up approach, not a top-down approach. And organizations, many of them, are still caught up in a vertical relationship hierarchy. And that's their mindset. Vertical relationships, top-down. Decisions are made at the top, and the organizational structure filters those decisions down to the rest of the organization. Now, in a world where speed, agility, adaptability, Innovation is absolutely paramount or critical to the success of a company or an institution. I'll just say institution. Can that type of structure work? I don't think so. I don't think so. In today's world, ideas, 
processes, implementations, innovation. It happens too fast. So in order to get an idea from, okay, we got the idea. We need to go all the way to the top. We need to come back down. Takes too long, right? That's vertical relationships. Better yet, when the ideas can only be derived from the individuals at the top, do you get the best ideas in that scenario? Do you have groupthink in that scenario where the senior executives, right, that all look the same, that think the same, just forge head, hey, we're the smartest, we're the brightest, that's why we're here. We're the ones that are going to pat ourselves on the back after we implement Project A and it's a wild success. That's vertical relationships. And can you be nimble if you have a central authority that makes all the decisions? Can you be innovative? If your senior executives only listen to other senior executives, can you avoid a culture of fear throughout your company if ideas only come from one spot, yet accountability is pushed throughout the entire organization? This type of approach, the vertical relationship approach, was successful. But that's pre-information age. That's pre-internet. Post-internet. The best ideas come from the bottom that live, eat, breathe operations that are closest to the customers, that understand what the customer's thinking, their buying decisions, their habits, what moves them, what doesn't, comes from the individuals that recently graduate because they're learning about technology, right? They're investigating They're inquisitive about the change of pace that's happening in the world and the technology that's driving it. They're the ones that create innovation in 2020. They're the ones that have the best ideas. And companies that have C-suite leaders that value those relationships and view everybody as equals, right? Everybody has different jobs, right? And the value that they bring is different based on their job. But that doesn't mean that the value created isn't equal, just different value, right? And so it's the organizations 
that view employees, vendors, regulators, shareholders, owners as all equal stakeholders in the success of their operation, of their business. They're the ones that are going to be successful long term in the new information age and the internet age and the decentralized age because they can adapt they can innovate they can be agile they don't have to wait for a decision to be centralized and then go all the way up to the top and then all the way to the bottom even in flat organizations you know this is where so my world i come from a like a, like you guys know a national kenworth truck dealer that was relatively flat where you had tremendous access to the executives and frankly i was a benefactor of that um you know promoted multiple times got extreme exposure uh benefited my career uh significantly um from that perspective but I was also on the inside. I had access to them, right? But they wanted the flat organization because they thought that they were the most important people in the entire company. And the executives thought that they had to be the one to make the decisions. And so what happened? in that environment no agility no speed no innovation slow decision making couldn't get things done cultures of fear And even though the organization that I was in has been wildly successful, it was wildly successful in the really since it started. Um, but I think they're going to have real problems because it's a centralized institution in terms of how they operate. They're not nimble. They're not agile. They're not innovative. They don't use technology. There's four people that can make all the decisions. And it isn't just this one company, right, that's structured this way. These organizations are everywhere. And I think if you kind of look and you ask yourself, okay, why do does the or why do the companies in the S&P 500 why have they changed over the past 15 years right what's happened is the amount of time that a company spends in the S&P 500 has decreased significantly over time and it's my opinion that that's happened 
because organizations have been unwilling to adapt, aren't forward-looking, they're always looking in the past, can't anticipate change, aren't agile, too slow to react, don't invest in the right things. And I think this is going to continue, right? I, th- I believe, and from the people that I've talked to, what I've experienced is this mindset of vertical relationships versus horizontal relationships. And if you believe and your foundation is in vertical relationships, it's going to impede your ability to be successful in this new world. Because the world's moving too fast. Technology's moving too fast. And if you can't keep up, you're just going to get left behind. Those companies in the S&P 500, the Exxon Mobiles of the world, that was in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, got recently uh, replaced by Salesforce. They can't adapt. Because they have vertical relationships, a centralized mindset. And that's going to be the fascinating thing to watch as we move forward. And if you have a horizontal mindset, a bottom-up mindset instead of a top-down mindset, your organization, your institution will be much better positioned to be successful. It's happening. Who are the players in the S&P today? Digital, internet companies. Why? Because they're innovative. Why? Because they do hackathons a few times a year where their best ideas come from the employees horizontal relationships I'm not sure there's anything more important in the digital age in 2020 and in the future and that's it for today's show hope everybody enjoyed This episode of the Joe Moran Show, I know I did. I know I always enjoy the conversation. And until tomorrow, keep our ears to the grindstone.